everyone. Good morning and welcome to episode one of Rolling Release, our weekly variety podcast about Linux and its continual improvement. How are you doing this morning, Mark? I'm doing all right. I'm excited for all the news we got. There's a whole lot going on this week. Yeah, there is a lot going on this week. Um, all right, so starting off the stream strong with some technical difficulties and watching live, join us over at live.nots.co. We do have a chat room going. You can talk to us. Um, but yeah, we do have a lot to talk about this week. There are some big announcements that happened a few weeks ago, and they kind of happened before we were doing the show, so that was kind of unfortunate, but we're still going to talk about them now. Uh, and yeah. Of course, later we are going to be getting into what Linux is. We're going to be giving a just an introduction to Linux in its entirety, and uh, Mark, that might be helpful to you because I don't know if you've noticed, but I have sort of been holding out on you. I'm excited. Yeah, I've noticed and I'm ready to yeah. learn. <laughs> Every time Mark's been asking me questions, uh, I, I've been answering very specifically, but then I haven't been giving a whole lot of context or background on anything because I wanted to save it all for the show. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be doing that in the second half of the show. But for now, we are going to get right into the news. All right, so the first story that we have to talk about is the story that started this show. Kind of important, I think, to the show. Okay. Um, so the Linux Action Show has ended. This is the first week, uh, first weekend in 11 years that the Linux Action Show has not aired. Um, so that's pretty crazy. Now, Mark, I know you weren't actually watching the show, like for the longest time, because you just got no, into Linux. I just, just watched it whenever you mentioned it to me, like about a month ago, a month or two ago. I watched about a few episodes. Yeah. En enough to understand just w w what their plan is for this show, and like I guess not anymore, but just their their idea of of what they were trying to make yeah I've been uh, I had been watching the show for a few years now and it really was crazy to hear that it was ending although there, there was a lot that changed within the last couple years and it was clear they really weren't happy with the format they had anymore um, so what happened was basically the Linux action show the hosts kind of they think that it was kind of just dried out um, they, they were still excited about what they were doing but they weren't seeing a whole lot of community feedback um, about the show and they uh, just kind of they thought they could do a better shows if they split up the different segments into their own individual shows rather than having one long show um, which is what we're doing here so you know they think that this format is failing we're trying it anyway but um, yeah they wanted something new so uh, there was a period where they asked for feedback about the show before they announced it would be ending and I told Mark when this was happening so they asked they said we're not getting enough feedback we want more feedback. And then they ended up getting hundreds of comments on their subreddit about people talking about what they don't like about the show. Oh, man. So, yeah, there's, see, their official feedback thread had 136 comments. And uh, a lot of it was criticism. It was a lot of constructive criticism. And the hosts did take all that into consideration when they were making um, their new shows that they have already started airing. Some of them, some of them are going to be airing within the coming weeks. Um, here's an unofficial feedback thread, got 257 comments. Another unofficial feedback thread got 108 comments. Just to give you an idea wow. of the scale of how much feedback yeah. they were getting. Over the course, that was all over one week. Um, and then uh, here's somebody posted, I made an hour-long video um, about how the Linux Action Show has affected me and Nerd on the Street. Uh, somebody else posted that video to the subreddit, and Matt Hartley saw it, so that was cool. He was one of the older hosts of the show. Um, and then here's a bunch of people in the comments complaining about how long my videos are. So, um, so yeah, that was a thing that happened, and I did just want to, you know, start off the show with that, because if it weren't for the Linux Action Show, you know, we wouldn't be doing this, because not only did they inspire 
this show specifically, the format of the show that we're doing, but they also got me a whole lot more into Linux than I already was. Um, so yeah, they they were very important in my Linux growth. Uh, so yeah, hopefully we can kind of continue some of the good things they were doing. Um, so there's our first story. Any thoughts on that? Like I said, I know you weren't a long-time viewer or anything. Yeah, um, it, it's like a lot of things that go on for a long time. It, a TV show or web series, it's it's, it's sort of the thing, like, who knows how long, like, a Rooster Teeth's, like, Red versus Blue was going on. I know that was a big inspiration for just the company in general, like, a, a nerd on the street and okay. their own projects. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. It's interesting to see the, the reasons why these long, like, like of dynasty style sort of shows that have, have have such a long history just on the internet, like when yeah. they're going to end and and, you know, and what the reasons will be. That actually brings up a nice point. So, like, Jupiter Broadcasting and Rooster Teeth are two very different companies. Jupiter yes. Broadcasting is a tech podcasting company, and they uh, what they do is they talk about Linux in most of their shows, and they talk about. Yes tech in their shows. Rooster Teeth obviously doesn't give a crap about tech. They're an entertainment company. Um, yes. and, but the parallel you just drew, um, Jupiter Broadcasting has really helped shape a lot of the Nerd on the Street tech channel, and Rooster Teeth has shaped a lot of the Nerd on the Street entertainment channel, or creative channel. Um, part of the reason that the Linux Action Show ended is because the hosts didn't want it to die a slow death. They didn't want it to drag out. There were still thousands and thousands of people watching their show every week but they yeah. knew that in the coming years that would be slowing down or they uh, thought that in the coming years that would be slowing down and rooster teeth you just said like red versus blue has been going on for 14 years now 15 years I, yeah I they're still long. doing it it's still yeah. dragging on now i stopped watching after season 13 because i thought that was a nice clean ending and now they're just kind of doing random other crap with the new seasons and that's what Jupiter Broadcasting didn't want to do. There's something kind of respectable about saying, yes. all right, we've made this thing. It went on for a long time. It was a good thing, but we're going to stop it now, and we're going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that is kind of a nice thing for them to do. So there's that. And then we do have one other huge story to talk about this week. And when this broke, my first thought was, why couldn't they have waited until we started our show? Because this would have been, like, we could have gotten so much traffic for the show and everything, yeah. you know, new people tuning in just from talking about the story when it was still relevant. Um, but, yeah, so Ubuntu made a very big decision. Um, yes. Mark Shuttleworth did a press release, and mm -hmm. Ubuntu, starting with 18.04 is what was originally said, was going to drop the Unity desktop environment. Canonical is no longer going to be making the Unity desktop environment. They are now going to be shipping Ubuntu with GNOME again. Oh. And now Mark Mark is, like, I was just introducing Mark to Linux when this was happening, so mm -hmm. I don't know, once again, just like the Jupyter Broadcasting thing, like, you just got in here, you haven't even used Unity like you hadn't yeah. before the story yeah. broke. I, I had no idea how how big of a deal it was. I just, I didn't even know what Unity was. I just thought maybe it was like a small program or something that was shipping with it. Yeah. But it ended so, up being quite a big part. Right, yeah. So I am going to explain what desktop environments are and why they're so important in the second half of the show during our intro to Linux section. But uh, for those of you who do know what Unity is, this was obviously a very big deal. Uh, some people thought that it was a late April Fool's joke because it happened like April 4th, April 5th. Uh, oh, when man. it broke, and then uh, yeah, I mean, people were 
we're just shocked. I mean, here's our first article we have on it from OMG Ubuntu, which is an entire website dedicated to news about Ubuntu specifically. And um, the opening line in this article, in an extraordinary blog post that I have yet to fully digest, Mark Shuttleworth has announced that Canonical is to end its investment in Unity 8, Mir, Ubuntu for phones and tablets, and will no longer pursue its goal of convergence. And that really... That is a huge deal because they they basically have just walked back on everything they've been trying to do the past six or seven years um, is what's happening here. And they have some good reasons for it, but it's still really shocking to see them do that because not a lot of companies say, all right, the last six years were a failure. We're going to go back to what we were doing before that. Um, not a lot of companies step up and do that, but uh, Canonical mm-hmm. has. So um, over here we've got the actual official press release from Mark Shuttleworth, uh, which is interesting. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Mark Shuttleworth was the one who did this press release, and he was the founder mm-hmm. of Canonical, and he's kind of been the spokesperson of Canonical uh, this whole time. So okay. so Mark said, we will end our investment in Unity 8, the phone and convergence shell. We will shift our default Ubuntu desktop back to GNOME for Ubuntu 18.04 LTS. So that would mean that the first version that they're changing to GNOME is an LTS release that they're going to have to support for two years. Or, no, like six years, actually. That right there, normally you don't make big changes when you're doing an LTS. You do that on the interim, like with the smaller releases, and that way you can get it polished for the LTS, but they uh, originally said they were going to make the change during the long-term support release version. And then uh, Mr. Shuttleworth said, I'd like to emphasize our ongoing passion for, investment in, and commitment to the Ubuntu desktop that millions rely on. We will continue to produce the most stable open source desktop in the world. So a lot of people, when this story first broke, I had people in the Telegram groups that I'm in saying, this is it. Canonical doesn't care about the desktop anymore. Like, they're, they're, they don't care about the desktop anymore. They're giving up on the desktop. Um, I think it's the exact opposite. And based on what <coughs> Mark Shuttleworth has said, it seems like it's the exact opposite. Um, because he says, you know, they're going to continue to produce the most stable, most usable open source desktop. Um, and they're just going to be doing it using GNOME rather than Unity. And remember, he says that we will be shifting our default Ubuntu desktop back to GNOME for Ubuntu 18.04. There was a time when Ubuntu was shipping GNOME by default. Um, before Unity was a thing. I was actually using Linux before Unity existed. A lot of Linux users haven't because Linux has been growing exponentially. Um, since its inception, it's been growing exponentially, but that means every year there are even more new people who find it. And so there were lots of people who all they'd ever known was Unity. And now that this is ending, they didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, Having used Ubuntu back when it was using GNOME as its default desktop, I think it was a really nice time when it was using GNOME. Um, The reason that they even made Unity in the first place was actually because GNOME made a huge change from GNOME 2 to GNOME 3, They completely redesigned their desktop, and a lot of people did not like GNOME 3, so then Ubuntu made Unity um, because they wanted an alternative to GNOME 3, and that was sort of a nice thing to do at the time, although as they say in the blog post, um, our efforts were seen as fragmentation, not innovation, and that's really something that Ubuntu has been fighting for the past years. Um, Part of the whole Unity thing, we've got... um, Raviolin in the chat room saying Wayland all the way, uh, or no, random dude in the chat room saying Wayland all the way. Um, <laughs> and what he's saying there, they're, uh, I'm going to explain later what display servers are. And Canonical is actually making an entire display server just 
for Unity 8, which was going to be the next version of Unity, because GNOME was moving off of Linux's de facto standard display server onto a new one called Wayland, and then uh, Canonical forked Wayland and made their own called Mir, and so not only are they discontinuing Unity, they're also discontinuing Mir, um, but a lot of people said that Mir shouldn't have happened in the first place, because it was, you know, it was a fork of Wayland, and we've been trying to make a new display server for a long time. The Linux community has been trying to do that for a while now. Um, and so some people just felt that it was slowing things down. So yeah, that's where the, the fragmentation thing comes in. And yeah, Mark Shuttleworth said, the choice ultimately is to invest in the areas which are contributing to the growth of the company. And that's where it sort of gets into the cold business yeah. side of it, where it's like, where do we do we do what's best for our users and where do we do what makes us money? Like, mm. you know, mm. I don't know what you have uh, to say about that. Um, a couple of things, a couple of questions. I mean, I, the whole business part is, is a very important part. You can't run your business entirely on doing what's best for the fans because sometimes it isn't what's going to make money, but sometimes doing too much of what's going to make money is going to make all the fans go away. But I think, I don't know. I, I always don't really, just me personally, I don't necessarily think having such a large fork in a in a uh, in a community is a good idea. I think it it'll it it divides the community too much, and then trying to have two different directions be healthy at the same time can be very taxing. Yeah, and um, I think they just all wanted to bring two families together, which is normally like in real life sometimes quite difficult. <laughs> Because maybe they're just two different types of people. Um, I'm I'm reading the comments in um, the uh, in the post here, and it really is seems half and half. Oh, like half the comments are quite angry people. Half of them yeah. are saying, "Great, and, I you can't know, that wait." Was, uh, yeah, that <laughs> split you're talking about is actually another story we had here. Somewhere around here. Yeah, uh, so OMG Ubuntu ran a poll asking, are you happy, sad, or indifferent to Ubuntu's bombshell announcement? And, of mm -hmm. course, this is on OMG Ubuntu, so this is going to be skewed toward people who like Ubuntu. Now, people who yes. don't use Ubuntu are more likely to be happy about this. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but the results from that poll um, were 35% positive, 31% in between, uncertain. <laughs> 24% <clears throat> negative, and then 8.5% just didn't care. Um, yeah. But, I mean, those are... I mean, if you look at the, the bars on this poll, they're not that far apart from each other. It yeah. was a pretty even split. Yeah, I'll switch to Mark's desktop. He's scrolling through comments right now on uh, one of those articles. Yeah. And, yeah, there there was a lot of of uncertainty about this and a lot of people arguing back and forth whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. So, yeah, part of what Canonical has been doing these past years... Part of what Canonical's been doing is they've been trying to make a mobile operating system. They've been trying to make something to compete with Android and iOS, because even though Android is based on Linux for now, um, Android is completely controlled by Google, completely locked down, and it, some people think that that's just as bad as being proprietary. You know, um, if Google has access to all your information, then why even, you know, what's the point? Um, of using open source software if you're giving it all to a company anyway. And then of course iOS is proprietary. Um, Firefox OS died last year. So then the last really third party phone operating system that was going was Ubuntu Phone. 
and Ubuntu Phone has now been discontinued because Ubuntu Phone was using Unity 8. That's why they were making Unity 8. That's why they were making Mir, uh, because they said Wayland wasn't good enough for a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that what they're they've been chasing this dream of complete convergence between the phone and the tablet and the desktop. And Mark Shuttleworth just said, you know what? We've been losing money on this for years now, and um, decided it was time to bring things back in, make the company profitable again. And honestly, it's probably a good thing they did this before they went bankrupt, because Mark Shuttleworth has been paying for the loss every single year. They've been making a loss, um, a large loss. I think we might have some numbers later. So here's our next article. It's Ars Technica. The Ars headline was very bold. It said, Ubuntu Unity is dead. Desktop will switch back to GNOME next year. So yeah, six years after making Unity the default user interface on Ubuntu desktops, uh, which really it was like seven years. Canonical is giving up on the project and will switch to the default Ubuntu desktop. Back to GNOME next year. Canonical is also ending development of Ubuntu software for phones and tablets. Um, but yeah, they're they're focusing on servers now in the cloud because that's what people were using them for anyway. Um, and by switching to GNOME, Canonical is also giving up on Mir and moving to the Wayland Display Server. I was going to have that discussion now, but of course someone brought it up in the chat room, so we already talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, here's a comment, a promoted, like an editor promoted comment on the Ars article. Uh, somebody said that this is a good thing. Ubuntu was always at its best when it worked to add polish and support to existing software rather than making their own software. Six years spent reinventing wheels was not without some success, but ultimately was too much of a distraction from their core goals, um, which their motto used to be Linux for human beings. I don't know if that's their, their slogan anymore. Hmm. Um, but yeah, when they first created Unity 2, this is another part of it. When they first made Unity, it's like, all right, you're forking a desktop environment. That's a big project, right? But yes, they, they pulled it off and they did all right with it. And so everyone was like, okay, they forked a desktop environment. That's fine. But then when that was before we were switching off of X and on to Wayland. That was before um, that progression was happening. So then when the GNOME developers started moving to Wayland, that's when Ubuntu had to say, all right, Wayland's not going to work for phones. Now we have to make Mirror. So the project ended up being a lot bigger because the display server is a lot harder to make than a desktop environment. And a desktop environment's no small feat in the first place. So, um, so yeah, it ended up being a lot bigger project than they thought it would be, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, this comment says, messing around with a low-level display server that duplicates existing <coughs> efforts was not within their wheelhouse. Uh, but I look forward to seeing what they do with GNOME 3. So, yeah, that person... That's a, sort of the view of this is a good thing. Um, now, here's the the pretty much objectively bad part of this all okay. <laughs> is when we're talking about the business sense, the cold business, you know, we need to do what's profitable for the company. Um, our yeah. next article, canonical to cut jobs, acts unprofitable projects. Oh, so my. canonical was already a small company, mm-hmm. um, like just a few hundred people. Let's see. So it had a staff of almost 500 before this okay. started. And then they laid off as much of half of their Unity team, as much as half of them, um, which is like a third of their company, if I uh, wow. remember correctly. Okay. Yeah, they said uh, the company, let's see, in a very cold commercial sense, we have to bring those numbers into line, and that leads to headcount changes. One of those pieces I could not bring into line was Unity. That's a quote from Shuttleworth. Um, wow. Wow. 
So yeah, we can't go through that market process and ask for outside investor money when there's something as big as Unity that doesn't have a revenue story. That's the pinch we got into. So Canonical has been a private company all this time. It has been owned by Mark Shuttleworth. It's been like he owns it. There's no stocks or anything. Um, but what they're doing here is they've been preparing themselves for investment, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so yeah, when you're asking for investor money, you can't take as many risks as you can do. When you're a private company, you can do whatever you want to, because if you yeah. lose money, you pay for it out of pocket. And that's what yeah. Shuttleworth has been doing. Um, but yeah, so I actually, I knew somebody, um, one of the people I met at system 76 was actually in the process of being hired at canonical. He had interviewed for a job. They were like reaching out to him with an offer. And while they were reaching out to him with an offer, this press release happened, and then they came back and said, oh, sorry, your job's no longer open because we're just going to relocate somebody else within the company to it. And that's a, actually a good thing, even though my friend didn't get that position at Canonical, which really sucks because uh, mm -hmm. he was going to. That says Canonical is still trying to shuffle around their internal employees. They're, they're trying not to fire anybody they don't have to, um, yeah. not to lay off anybody they don't have to. But, yeah, it's still it's got to be tough. Um, but yeah, Shuttleworth says rather than cut now and hire, it made sense to keep people now. Um, so yeah, if we want to be in line immediately, you have to do this. We are growing and we will be in line within a quarter. That is like really, you know, six years of losing money and then you're in line within a quarter. That is a lot to, to do. That's a big task. And, oh, we have a question in our chat room. Let's see. Oh, okay. So random dude asks, so if Ubuntu is moving over to GNOME 3, then what happens to the Ubuntu GNOME distro? That's a great question. And I actually don't think that that was going to be in any of the um, articles. It might have been, but I'll answer it now. So what's happening with uh, Ubuntu GNOME is it's going to be basically brought into Ubuntu as the Ubuntu team. So like Ubuntu GNOME is dissolving but they're bringing all those contributors from Ubuntu GNOME. They're just now going to be contributing directly to Ubuntu. And Canonical has put out statements saying, hey, Ubuntu GNOME, we're not competing with you in any way. We want to have you guys come in and do this since you're the ones who have been supporting GNOME 3 for the past six years. Um, that's what's happening there, is the same people who have been making Ubuntu GNOME, they're now going to be helping Canonical pull this off with uh, Ubuntu proper. Hmm. So yeah, um, and that brings us to this article. This is from Christian Shaler, and he is a uh, developer on Fedora and on GNOME. Um, and he says, Welcoming Ubuntu to GNOME and Wayland. So, I would like to, on the behalf of the Red Hat Desktop and Fedora teams, welcome them and say that we look forward to keep working with the great Canonical and Ubuntu people. And he names a couple of names. Um, on projects of shared interest around GNOME, Wayland, and hopefully Flatpak. And this really... This is also reflective of the politics behind the situation because Ubuntu has been doing this whole unity and mirror and everything, and Red Hat is the other big corporate player in the Linux space. Um, and man, it would have been a lot easier to cover the story if we had done our Linux intro first um, so that I mm -hmm. could... I know I'm talking a lot, Mark. Uh, if you have any thoughts at any point in time, you're welcome to uh I, I do have something. I, I'm just thinking, like, how... Are, are there plans for um, people who are directly behind the development of of uh, GNOME? Are there plans for them to get like direct direct advice from people who were behind 
um, you need to help like better integrate those fans and users. Um, I mean, so what's <clears throat> happening is the people who have been making GNOME are going to continue to make GNOME, obviously. Yeah. There will be some... Canonical is facilitating the implementation of GNOME into Ubuntu, so there is going to be some communication there. Mm -hmm. For the most <clears throat> part, what you're going to see is Canonical is going to take whatever the Ubuntu developers give them, and they're going to ship... I think they're going to ship a pretty stock... Um, Ubuntu GNOME. A lot of people have been saying, oh, they're going to put all kinds of plugins on top of it. They're going to make it easier to use and all this and that. But back when Ubuntu was shipping with GNOME 2, they didn't do a whole lot to GNOME 2. They had a theme that they put over it, but that was about it. They didn't do a lot of modifications to GNOME 2. They shipped it just about stock. They just put a theme over it first. So personally, that's what I'm expecting. Really, we won't know until we see it. Um, but yeah, the the canonical people... If they make improvements to GNOME, which they very well might, um, then they are going to be submitting those changes to the GNOME developers, and the GNOME developers can choose to accept those, those yeah. uh, the, to accept those patches or not. Um, okay. So yeah, and really, uh, a bigger part of it is exposure, because you're not only going to see Canonical making GNOME better, but you're going to see Ubuntu users making GNOME better. So the Ubuntu users are going to say, all right, this thing that I'm using, I'm going to make this better and then before that would have been getting sent to canonical for unity now it'll just get sent to the gnome developers um but yeah so the past few years especially since canonical forked wayland into mir um that was kind of a big deal politically because red hat is one large corporation they're a, a united states corporation and they're pretty much the biggest corporate power in the linux world Mm -hmm. um, that makes a Linux distribution at least. And then Canonical was this private company over in Europe that uh, is making yeah. the number one used Linux distro, but then their oh. their market power is still huge because everybody uses them, um, but they aren't nearly as big as Red Hat, like, money-wise. So yeah, the Red Hat was working on Wayland, Canonical was working on Mir, um, and now, of course, Canonical is going to be using Red Hat's thing instead. Uh, they're not going to be making their own anymore, and Canonical is going to be using GNOME, which Red Hat contributes a lot to GNOME, uh, because Red yeah. Hat does Fedora, and Fedora is one of the distros that contributes a lot to GNOME, because Fedora ships a pretty stock version of GNOME as well. Yeah. Um, and here, in this this sentence here, on projects of shared interest around GNOME, Wayland, and hopefully Flatpak, you know why that hopefully Flatpak was put in there? That's... It's really interesting that Christian put that in his post because Canonical has stated that they are going to continue making Ubuntu snaps. Snaps are not going away. Um, and I am going to... So, Mark, I have not explained packages and universal installers to Mark yet. Do you have any idea what Flatpak is? Flatpak? Yeah. My absolute guess is it, it, it would... Uh, let's see here. Probably just a collection of maybe updates no. or applications, no. possibly. Well, yeah, so what's happening is in the Linux community, we've been the Linux people have been trying to make a universal installer for a long time because we've got Ubuntu, we have Fedora, we have OpenSUSE, we have all these different distros, but you need different packages for each distro right now, and that's a big problem okay. for developers because not everyone has the time and, and resources to put out like 10 different packages for 10 different distros. So we've got these universal installers 
that you can install the same package on any distro. And that sounds like a great idea, right? Yeah, yeah, I but would then, say so. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know, it's a no-brainer. It's a pretty good idea. But the problem yeah. with the universal installer, it has to be universal, right? Everyone has to use the same one. If we've got three different universal installers, it's not universal because there's no. three of them. So right now there are three of them. One of them was Ubuntu Snaps, which Canonical was behind. And then the other one of them was Flatpak, which Red Hat is strongly backing through Fedora. <clears throat> and then there was one other one as well that's irrelevant for this conversation. But yeah, so they're, um, Red Hat people are kind of like, oh, you're, you're dropping all your own stuff? Why don't you drop snaps and come use Flatpak yep. too? But, uh, but yeah, Canonical's no. not doing that. They're going to keep doing snaps. So yeah, the, there, another quote, just one other thing from Christian's blog post I wanted to point out. Now having reached a position where Canonical, uh, Red Hat, and SUS again share one desktop technology stack. Um, so we've got... The other big company, Novell, have you heard of them? No. You haven't heard of Novell? No. Like Zenworks? You have, you've never seen Zenworks anywhere? Zen, I've seen the word Zenworks yeah, before. Yeah, Novell makes Zenworks. Okay. But they also make a, a Linux distribution called SUS. Oh. Um, I've had heard Zeus before. SUS before. Yeah. Um, they make SUS, Enterprise Linux, and they also make OpenSUS. Um, okay. So we've got the three, and then the he also lists a company called Endless here, but they're not as big as the other three. But um, we have our biggest three, our only three corporate powers behind Linux are all now using all the same stuff. They're all using the same desktop environment. They're all <laughs> using the same display server. Mm -hmm. And this is how it has been. Like six years ago, this is how it was already. And it was that way for years and years before that. Um but I kind of, I was interested when the splits started happening. I, I thought, oh, we've got some competition going on here. Maybe this will be a good thing because there has never really been competition in the display server space before. We've yeah. always just had one display server. Now that we've got more than one, maybe one of them will be, you know, they'll, they'll compete with each other. One will add features, yeah. the other will add stuff. Um, but we're not going to have that. We're just going to have them all using the same stuff again. I, I think, yeah, I... I see what you're saying. Like, in any industry, competition is very important to keep it healthy yeah. and to keep the customers interested and happy with the newest products. But you know, as as always, competition can become unhealthy and can start to hurt things and maybe might even slow down things because people are using two different. Yeah. There's too yeah. many like different things going on, and that can be confusing for the community. Right. And I think I think it is important to at some point consolidate things and just just for on a development standpoint you just have a clear-cut goal of like this is what what we're developing for or who we're developing for and the customers know where it's all going i think that's very important like competition is great but if, if it gets too split up and it gets too confusing it's just going to hurt the industry in a whole yeah and that's definitely the thinking behind this so that is happening one way or the other and we've only got a couple more things to talk about with Ubuntu. This was a big story. I know we've been talking about it for a while. Very big story. I did want to throw out a little shout-out. KDE fans launched petition to make Plasma Ubuntu's next desktop. <laughs> I saw that. That's and, cool. And uh, my favorite part of this article, and this is, I'm a KDE user, by the way. If I go to, uh, oh, I'm on my desktop already. Well, I'll open up um, my file manager here. You see, I'm, I'm using Dolphin. I'm on KDE. I use Plasma 5, that is my preferred desktop, and I love the KDE project. Um, at the time of writing, the change.org petition has attracted just 19 signatures. 
in the four days it has been running. So that tells you that is that was my favorite part of the article because that tells you how big KDE is compared to Gnome and like how many. And it's funny because KDE is such a complex project. It's got so many different things. There's so many people working on it, but in the community, we don't hold a candle to to Gnome. Um, so yeah, I, now I did not sign this petition myself. Um, let's see how many signatures it has right now. It's got 3,444. There we go. Um, That's a bigger number. Yeah, it is a bigger <laughs> number. Um, it got a lot after the OMG Ubuntu article. I'm very glad they covered it because they gave mm-hmm. it a lot of, uh, a lot of publicity by covering yeah. it. But yeah, I personally did not sign this and do you know why? Uh, do you not like Plasma? No, I love Plasma. I'm using it right now. Oh, okay. well, mm, why? The why? reason oh. I did not personally sign this petition myself. So now that Ubuntu is going to be the default desktop, or I, I'm sorry, now that GNOME is going to be the default desktop yeah. on Ubuntu, everyone using Ubuntu, which is every new Linux user, everyone who doesn't know what they're doing, are all going to be using GNOME. All right, mm-hmm. and so now we're going to have bug reports coming from users who don't know how to do things. We're going to have feature requests coming from users who haven't been using Linux for a long time, and we're going to have a lot of changes happening to GNOME, um, whether they're from Canonical or whether they're <coughs> just from Ubuntu users from the community. A lot of changes are going to happen to GNOME inevitably to cater to new Linux users. Now mm-hmm. I have always said. KDE as a uh, KDE Plasma is a desktop environment for power users. I would never recommend Plasma to a new user. And I've got plenty of people in my YouTube comments on videos I've done on KDE that say, "Oh, I'm a new user and I'm using KDE and it's perfectly fine for me. It works great." And that is awesome. If you're a new user and you're using KDE, love it. That's great. I would never put a new Linux user myself. Like I did not recommend to Mark, "You should use Plasma." Like, <laughs> no, I I would not do that because there are a lot of rough edges. Um, yeah, random dude in the chat room says Plasma would be more Windows-esque than GNOME. That's true, but Plasma has a lot more rough edges. It's got a lot more bugs. There are, uh, like, 10,000 times more settings, and you can screw up those settings and mess things up. Um, not permanently, but you can just make things act weird, and then people think Mm -hmm. that Linux doesn't work very well because they don't know how to use KDE. Um, so I don't want KDE to get dumbed down. I like that KDE is an alternate thing. It's, 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 um... You're using it because you want to. You're not using it because it comes with the distro. You're using KDE because you know what it is and you want to use it. Um, and I want it to stay that way. That's why I didn't personally sign that petition. Now, there was a YouTube video in this OMG Ubuntu article, and it's from Tux Digital. And this is a video about how to make KDE Plasma look and behave almost exactly like Unity. Wow. Okay. Almost exactly. And I, when I saw this embedded, I'm like, ah, this is such a you know, gimmicky video. Why'd they embed this? <laughs> I clicked play, and I'm not going to play the whole Hi, video here. I... Um, but I am going to skip toward the end here. And he did a really great job with this. Like, it actually yeah. looks almost exactly... Yeah, uh, if anyone really liked Unity, but they don't want to use, like, the community Unity forks, they want to use an actual, like, desktop that's still alive but they still want the setup of Unity. I didn't even realize, like, this guy showed me new features of KDE Plasma, and I use Plasma every day, but this video wow. told me about new features I didn't even know I had on the Plasma desktop environment. 
um, because he, he was making it look and act exactly like Unity. It's got the universal menu, it's got the side launcher, it's got the dashboard. I didn't know we had a dashboard. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know we had universal menus. This is awesome. Um, so very nice job to Tux Digital, and you should definitely give that video a watch if you want to uh, see how to make KDE behave like Unity. It's definitely um, <clears throat> legit. And then the very last story we have to talk about with this whole Unity going away thing is a story from ZDNet, and this was a couple weeks later. This was actually just this past, yeah, this past Monday. ZDNet put out an article, Canonical Starts IPO Path. So understand that we are covering this story like a month after it happened. When this first broke, nobody knew why it was happening. Nobody knew, um, yeah, nobody knew why it was happening. Nobody knew what was going to come of it. Um, I think we skipped over. Yep, we did. We skipped over. Mark Shuttleworth came back as the CEO to Canonical, um, okay, which, yeah. by the way, that's funny. I'm, I'm actually sad I forgot to put that story up on the screen because I didn't realize anyone else was ever the CEO myself it, was it kept quiet that he left i don't sort of i i don't think it was a secret like you know they had a ceo they had um I, mark shuttleworth founded canonical so obviously he yeah. was ceo at one point in time and then i thought he was still ceo because every every two weeks we hear oh mark shuttleworth says this about ubuntu mark shuttleworth says that about ubuntu but apparently these past few years he's just been a contributor and spokesperson um, or he's held some other positions at the company, but then he's actually coming back as the CEO um, as part of this big change. And I think that kind of helped quell a lot of the uneasiness about all the changes. Because, um, mm -hmm. you know, he was the one who started it all. He kind of should know what's best for it. Um, but yeah, that was another story. And then Canonical starts IPO path. So Mark Shuttleworth revealed in an interview that recent changes in the Linux and cloud provider were to ready Canonical for an IPO. Do you know what an IPO is? by the way. Uh, it stands for Initial Public Offering. So this means before they were a private company, they are now going to be a public company. You'll be able oh, to buy stocks okay. in them now. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that's the reason why he came back? Was to help get that started? I don't know why the position changes happened. There hasn't been a whole lot of talk about that because we're generally more concerned with uh, the actual tech. I don't yeah. know why he needs to be in the CEO position for this to happen. Um, all right, here's a here's the article about um, CEO stepping down. So Jane Silver was the CEO before, and I've never heard of this this woman. Like, no, and neither. I feel kind of uninformed. ZDNet, ZDNet's got an auto playing video on their page. Thanks so much. Uh oh. And um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know why if this was. I mean, obviously it's all part of the master plan to make Canonical profitable. And Shuttleworth is the one who's been paying out of uh, out of pocket for all the losses, mm -hmm. which have been very large losses. I don't want to say numbers because I'm I don't have them in front of me, but yeah, Mark is executive. So Mark has been the executive chairman. Uh, random dude in the chat room says, and he is coming back as CEO now, as reported by ZDNet and at least one other website. Um, so a couple quotes toward the end of this article. The reason they chose GNOME and not any of the other desktop environments out there is because GNOME presents the least change for users out of all of the desktop environments. Now, I kind of want to know, are you talking about the least change coming from Unity or the least change coming from Windows? Because either way, I disagree. Uh, it'd kinda, be weird if he was talking about the least change from Windows. Because it's like opposite from Windows. There's nothing similar. Yeah. Um, but really even weird. from Unity, there's not a lot similar. 
the menu is completely different. How you open the menu is completely different. The title bar on Windows is pretty darn different. So yeah, I don't know how he figured that GNOME presents the least change for users. Like he said, uh, mate, or mate as some people pronounce it, that was one of the things he listed. And, you know, mate is actually more similar to, I mean, mate has a minimize button. And Unity had a minimize button. There's no minimize button in GNOME. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> really? There's no minimize button. Why? Because you don't need to minimize because you just open a new virtual desktop because GNOME is like 90% based around virtual desktops. Like that's how okay. you work is, oh, you want to oh. minimize this? Go put your mouse up. And they make it super easy to switch between virtual desktops, easier than any other distro. But then you just have to use those. Yeah, random dude says XFCE would be more similar. Yeah. I mean, every distro, uh, by, by the metric of how many minimize buttons you've got, every <laughs> desktop environment but GNOME would be a better choice than GNOME coming yeah. from Unity. But... Okay. You know, um, they thought GNOME would present the least change. And once again, we got that quote, Ubuntu will never die. Ubuntu is the default platform on cloud computing. And that it is, and that's why they're able to do all this, um, because they're massively popular. And we had to cut out those parts that couldn't meet investors' needs. The immediate work is to get all parts of the company profitable. We've been over that already. It's kind of just the business thing they have to do if they want to you know nobody's gonna buy stock in a company these past six years mark shuttleworth i've been cheering him on and we i think we've all been mm -hmm. cheering him on as he's been making ubuntu phone uh because even though ubuntu phone unfortunately never got off the ground it was still a great idea you know have a phone that can do everything a desktop can um have a phone running linux it was a great yeah. idea but every single year they had a loss and Mark was paying out of pocket for that. And everyone was saying, oh, Mark Shuttleworth is such a great person for paying out of pocket for all these losses from this company. And that's all well and good. If you're going to offer stocks, though, who's going to buy a stock for a company that loses every year? Yeah. Like, nobody's... That, yeah, that, like, whenever he said, um, the immediate work is to get all parts of the company profitable, it, that's an important line because in a... In most companies, if, if a part of a company isn't, isn't profitable, it's either you fix it very soon or it gets cut out immediately. Like most companies are very cutthroat for new projects or side things that aren't immediately profitable. Yeah. So so it, to, to, to make that the number one priority is very important because if the next year or so and certain parts of the company aren't starting to, to bring in money, they'll start to they'll have to, you know, lose. I'll lose a few limbs. Yeah. That'll be projects people care about, like projects people use. And um, so that I think that was a very important thing to, to see. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, yeah, as he says, this isn't the first time Shuttleworth has considered an IPO. Um, he considered it in 2015, but yeah, now he's removed the parts of the company, Unity and related issues that were costing Canonical over eight figures a year uh, for an idea wow. of of how unprofitable unity has been yeah so that's uh there's that unity is dead um <laughs> linux action show is dead unity is dead welcome to linux mark glad you're here everything oh, is yeah. crashing to the ground and burning but uh <laughs> sounds awesome <laughs> but yeah with that we'll move on to our next story we've we've got some other smaller stories this week we're just gonna fly through these before we get on to our like feature windows, honestly yeah well um I don't know. Windows, if, if the Windows Arrow interface died, there would be nothing else to take its place. At least yeah. we have 10 different desktop environments. When one of them goes away, you just pop another one in there. We're good. Uh, so our next yeah. story is Thunderbird Email Client has a new home. 
quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually have a new home, um, but basically, Mozilla. So do you know what Thunderbird is? It's the email client. You ever used it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've never used it, but I know what it is. All right, yeah. yeah. So basically, very few people use email clients anymore. Um, so Thunderbird was not very popular, um, especially these past few years. It has not been very popular. It hasn't been getting a lot of developer attention, community attention, or much of anything. So Mozilla was kind of trying to pawn it off onto somebody else. They, they were looking into other homes for Thunderbird, and they have announced that Thunderbird is going to stay with Mozilla. Now, the confusing thing, they say it's got a new home. So here's where the new home comes in. They are no longer going to be part of Mozilla Corporation. They are now going to be part of the Mozilla Foundation. Okay. I think this is the silliest thing to to say. Like, new home, um, because like the corporation is owned by the foundation. So they were yeah. already part of the Mozilla Foundation. They're just not going to be getting any money <clears throat> from the Mozilla Foundation anymore. Basically, Mozilla has said, all right, we're going to let you guys continue to use our name, but we're not going to give you any any money, and you guys have to figure out how to make yourself better within the next few years. Um, so, yeah, yeah, while development did not... Was, was, were they not profitable before? Like, were, were, were they not making money? I don't even know if this is a profit thing. Um... I, I can't it, imagine they were making much money. Because if they said we're not gonna give you money anymore, it, it's it, to me. I, I immediately get like a uh, a thought of like a father or like a, a a parent giving their child like or like a stern talking to and say, "I'm gonna take your credit card away" or something. Yeah. Like that. Like no more allowance or something like that until you can fix these problems. Like, are, are there? Issues happening between Thunderbird and Mozilla, or anything like that? I don't know if there have been any specific issues. Like I said, it's been stagnation. Um, and really, Mozilla has been trying to make Firefox better. They've been trying to keep Firefox competitive. And by mm-hmm. the way, on the subject of Firefox, random dude in the chat room just asked, last time I saw your videos, you were using Firefox. Why use Chromium now? Um... The reason I'm using Chromium on stream is because I'm using Chromium just for the show. Uh, and, show. and Random Dude says, sorry, you didn't have to interrupt you know, your, your show for it, but this is actually a good thing to address. I'm using Chromium, the open source one, not Google Chrome, Chromium for this show. I still use Firefox as my personal browser. I use Firefox day-to-day, but I figured it would be good to have a browser that doesn't have all my bookmarks and history and crap in it. Just to use on stream, that's why I'm using Chromium. But... So as someone who uses Firefox day-to-day, and that was very topical for what we're talking about right now, Firefox really sucks. Have you... What do you think about Firefox? What do you use? You're using Chrome on a I on use your desktop Google right Chrome now. Canary, the one that yeah, you're using, always catches on fire six times a week. Why do you use that, man? I, I'm just... I live on the edge, dude. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Chrome... Like Google, just... They're... they're their beta ones is yeah. just really try out new options, which I, I kind of like. Yeah. Like, so that's always while, changing. Like it's always getting the latest features and everything, right? Yeah. It's basically like, here's a new thing. Try it out. Yeah. And then, so like, Firefox is like the opposite. It's like the long-term support browser and nothing ever changes. And mm-hmm. there it's, it's outdated in a lot of ways. And I'm not a developer. So like when you talk about why things don't work very well, um, you start to go over my head a little bit, but 
but Firefox really does not perform very well compared to other browsers. It just doesn't have good performance. It's not great at rendering things. It renders most things fine. Um, but yeah, Mozilla is really their Firefox is their big thing. They were trying to do Firefox TVs. They were trying to do Firefox phones. Uh, the phones definitely fell through. I think the TVs have stopped now as well. Because, you know, why put Firefox on those things? Um, but, but they're really just struggling to keep Firefox relevant today. And Thunderbird, they felt, was taking away from Firefox development. They said, you know what? We're really behind on Firefox. Uh, we're years behind Google and Opera and these other browsers. We're years behind them in Firefox development. Why are we still making a, a mail client, is what they said. And it's a fair thing to ask, I think. Um, it was fair that they looked at giving it to another company. A couple of other groups they looked at giving it to were the Software Freedom Conservancy and the Document Foundation. Now, here's, <clears throat> here's where I think the big opportunity was missed. Can you imagine if the Document Foundation got Thunderbird? All right, so, the, I'm sorry. All right, so the Document Foundation makes LibreOffice. <laughs> okay. Mark, Mark doesn't All know right. that. The Document no. Foundation is, remember how I told you about when Oracle bought Sun? Nobody liked yeah. Oracle, so they forked OpenOffice into LibreOffice? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The Document Foundation was created for that fork to have a home. So LibreOffice okay. is made by the Document Foundation. Now, on the Windows side of things, Microsoft Outlook, their mail client, is part of mm -hmm. Office, right? It's part of Microsoft Office. <clears throat> yes, yes, it comes So through. we've got LibreOffice as an alternative to Microsoft Office, but we don't have an Outlook component to that in LibreOffice. Not okay. that we necessarily need to, but how convenient would it have been if the same company making our Word competitor and our PowerPoint competitor and our Excel competitor was also making our Outlook competitor? The same it would group. keep people from having to install other crap. Yeah. It's good. Um, and, of course, I'm not a developer, and I'm sure that developing a word processor is very different from developing a mail client. But I thought that was a missed opportunity. When I read the article, I'm like, oh, Document Foundation. That would have yeah. actually been really cool to see yeah, them take over it because they probably – they're into the office stuff. They're into the boring, sort of monotonous, <clears throat> you know, uh, yeah. not necessarily most exciting development. Um, and that's definitely what Thunderbird is. So, but alas, um, Mozilla decided to hang on to Thunderbird for now. Um, there is already a Thunderbird council, and that council does need to quote maintain a Such good a cool name. What Thunderbird <laughs> council? Yeah, it just sounds yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, Mozilla says they will need to maintain a good working relationship and make decisions in a timely manner, um, and make meaningful progress in short order on operational and technical independence from the Mozilla Corporation. So just like you were saying earlier, this is they're taking their wallet away. They're saying, you need to stop taking up our resources right now, uh, yeah. is what they're saying here. <clears throat> okay. The long-term plan um, on the Thunderbird side of things is to migrate their code to web technologies and to be less reliant on Mozilla code. So at that point, once that happens, they'll really be able to just ditch... Um, Mozilla altogether and it won't be a big deal. But right now, they use the, the Gecko rendering engine, which is the rendering engine that Firefox uses. Best rendering engine on the planet, because Firefox uses it, but it works perfectly fine for emails. And, um... And, yeah. So... So, yeah, that's happening. We've got another story about it. Um, and Ars Technica reported on this in, a, I think, a more accurate way than OMG Ubuntu. Ars Technica, the headline was, uh, Mozilla and Thunderbird are continuing together with conditions. I think that's a better way to put it than new home. Mm 
Um, email client needs to reduce its technical and operational reliance on Mozilla. So like I said, in late 2015, Mozilla announced that it would be looking for a new home for Thunderbird, calling its continued maintenance a tax on Firefox development, like I just said. And uh, yeah, the Mozilla Foundation will continue to serve as uh, Thunderbird's legal, fiscal, and cultural home. Uh, now it is interesting. We've got this article straight from the horse's mouth on blog.mozilla.org. And they list off uh, three different conditions for this partnership, this continued partnership. A, the Thunderbird Council and the Mozilla Foundation executive team maintain a good working relationship and make decisions in a timely manner. B, the Thunderbird Council and the team make meaningful progress in short order on operational and technical independence from the Mozilla Corporation. And C, either side may give the other six months notice if they wish to discontinue the Mozilla Foundation's role as the legal and fiscal host of the Thunderbird Project. Okay. So they have a provision in their agreement about breaking off the agreement. And that doesn't wow. bode well to me. Now that that seems like a, both sides are a little skeptical of the whole situation. And yeah. they just want to have a fail safe. If, if things were to go wrong, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So Mozilla says if... Oh, go ahead. You know. I guess it it's smart if yeah. you're smart enough to realize that your relationship with this company is a little shaky. It's good to make sure there is a plan, um, but it, it does show people like, well, I guess they're not as confident as they as we thought. They're, yeah. They're, yeah. As a Firefox user who does not use Thunderbird, I hate to say it, I think it would be great for me if Thunderbird got discontinued or if, if they got sent off to some other group to deal with because I am tired <clears throat> I'm tired of Firefox not being as good as Chrome um, I'm yeah. just tired of that so I think that if Thunderbird is slowing them down at all which it's funny that they say that because Firefox development has been humorously slow like ridiculously slow Firefox development um, mm -hmm. and I've, I've read some things from developers online who talk about how difficult it is uh, to get Mozilla to accept help with Firefox development. So I'm skeptical that pawning off one project or like pushing out one project like they're kind of doing right now, I'm skeptical that's going to help based on what I've read from developers about the Mozilla Corporation and Mozilla Foundation. But um, if they say it's going to help, I'd love to see it help. So, yeah. yeah. If it becomes necessary for operational success, the Thunderbird Council will register a separate legal organization. Um, so that's what's going to happen if Mozilla does decide this partnership's not working out. Then Thunderbird will have six months to register their own company, and then Mozilla will give them the trademarks. Okay. All right, uh, moving right along here, because we are running a little long here um, on our news segment. <laughs> Microsoft to add support for SUS Fedora Bash shells to Windows 10. Uh, now, did you know anything about Ubuntu on Windows? Uh... I think while I was doing some research, when we first started just talking about the show, I, I saw something about it, which kind of piqued my interest because I am currently mainly a user of Windows 10. Yeah. Um, so to see something, they're calling it a subsystem? Yeah, so they already have something called the Windows subsystem for Linux, and it's in Windows 10. You can use that right now to run a new Ubuntu terminal. Okay. Uh, with the GNU tools and some basic Ubuntu apps so that developers, who they're targeting with this is developers because uh, developers like to program using Linux. 
um, and they like to make programs for Linux. Developers like Linux. Microsoft is trying to cling on to those developers. So they, mm -hmm. they worked out... This was actually something they partnered with Canonical to do some months back. They partnered with Canonical. Canonical helps them make the Ubuntu subsystem. Um, they call it Bash on Ubuntu on Windows, is what they call it, uh, which is mm -hmm. a, a long name. It is a very long name. Yeah, <laughs> but... But yeah, so basically what they did is they made it so that you can run, and it's not an emulator. It's not like you're, it's sort of an emulator. It's not like you're running a virtual machine. Like, it's natively running the programs. Um, some people kind of compared it to Wine on Linux, and I, you don't know what Wine is yet, do you? No, I, I actually was going to ask you about that after the show, because I saw something about it. Is Wine just a OS, or is it, because I, no. I, I saw it being used with, like, gaming and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, so wine, uh, wine stands for Wine is not an emulator. That's what it stands for. But <laughs> okay. it, it's basically an emulator. And, uh, <laughs> you know, every time that every time that there's a, an acronym that says this is not this, I it often it's never that. true, yeah. Um, <laughs> wine is, is not technically an emulator from a programming standpoint, but what it does is it lets you run Windows programs on Linux without having to run a virtual machine. Now it, it's finicky. It doesn't work very well, but it works okay, and um, and a lot of people use it to run basic Windows programs on Linux. So it's kind of the other way around. The subsystem, Windows subsystem for Linux, which runs on Windows, um, that interprets Linux program commands and runs them natively on Windows. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Raviolin in the chat room is saying on Microsoft Build event they also announced SUSE and Fedora on Windows. Yes, that is the story That's we're talking we about right now. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Glad to see you're here, Raviolin. So, um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, in addition to Ubuntu, you're also going to be able to use SUSE and Fedora. And by the way, Fedora, so Red Hat is like the huge enterprise distro, right? Mm -hmm. Fedora is made by Red Hat. Now, the thing is, Fedora used to be a staging ground for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. It used to go, all right, we want to put this in Red Hat Enterprise Linux, throw it in Fedora, and then in six months, it'll get pushed into Red Hat, right? It's not how it works okay. anymore. It hasn't worked that way for years. And the oh. entire reason that Red Hat bought... Well, they, I don't know if they bought them. Red Hat acquired CentOS, which CentOS was... It used to be an unofficial rebrand of Red Hat. Somebody downloaded Red Hat, stripped out all of the trademarked stuff, and then published it. And you can do that, and it's legal because of the GPL and whatnot. Um, copyleft. So, you know, you wouldn't be able to do that with Windows. Just rebrand it and resell it. But they can, they can do that on Linux. But yeah, Fedora is really not a mirror image of Red Hat Enterprise Linux anymore. So I think it's interesting. They they say SUSE. They don't say OpenSUSE. It's just SUSE. But then they're not using actual Red Hat Linux. They're using Fedora. And I think okay. this is kind of a sign that Microsoft doesn't know Linux as much as they think they might. But Because, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they, they're Windows people. But yeah, um, it's interesting. And here's the quote I really don't like in this article. Now, Windows is the only platform that can run both Windows apps and Linux apps side by side. The only platform that can run both Windows apps and Linux apps side by side. Something tells me that that isn't true. Well, I think it's true enough. It's true just about as much as you can run Windows apps on Linux. And that's what pisses me off is that it's kind of a lie. If you count the Windows subsystem for Linux as running a, a Linux program on Windows, 
then Wine should count as running a Windows program on Linux. And Microsoft made this statement, Windows is the only platform. Guys, you can't go anywhere else. If you want to run <laughs> Windows and Linux, you have to use Windows for that. Well, that's, that's just now we, what... Canonical, Red Hat, and Novell just helped you implement Linux shells into your sorry operating system. And now <laughs> you are going out and making marketing claims that are blatantly false against Linux. That that pisses me off a lot. That makes me angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what they are. That's what Microsoft is. Is they're a, they're a monster. They're a beast. Like once they, they embrace, get, extend, like, extinguish. Yeah, they they take over. They call it theirs, and they sell it for a lot of money. Yeah, uh, it's, we do. If they can even have like the tiniest bite of something, they'll pull the whole thing in. But like, all right, now this is this is all Microsoft. Our names on everything. Yeah. It's like, okay. Um, well, now, I guess they own this now. Random dude in the chat room asked an excellent question. Well, first he asked, "Is it only Bash, or can I use any other shell like Corn?" Um, no, you can only use Bash. It's only Bash. But also, how is the Ubuntu Bash different from Fedora Bash? That's a great question, random dude. Here's the here's the answer. They're the exact same. And actually, I had highlighted a comment about that on the article. I see they are perpetuating the myth that Linux distros are all so different with this big announcement of supporting SUS Bash, Fedora Bash, and Ubuntu <laughs> Bash, as if Bash is completely different on each distro. The truth, and this is actually true, Mark, is that there is only one Bash project, and while different distros will have different versions and maybe different compiler options, Bash is Bash. So... It's the okay. exact same thing. Now, if you're the, the whole difference, most of the difference between distros comes from what desktop environments they support, what desktop environments they ship, the default apps that they ship, and whatnot. Most of the difference between desktops is user land stuff. Like, the, 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 the shell is the exact same on every distro. So the, the fact that Microsoft is saying, oh, you can get your Ubuntu and your SUSE and your Fedora, even though SUSE and Fedora don't equate to each other. You can get it all here. They're just throwing out buzzwords. That's all that this is. <laughs> They're throwing out, okay. oh, the people know what SUSE is. You know, they, they don't know that it's supposed to be open SUSE if you're going with the open thing. People know what Fedora is, you know, but they're, Microsoft doesn't actually care about Linux. And I, it really sucks. That Linux is open source, so Microsoft can go and implement it into Windows, and there's nothing we can do about it, but then Windows is proprietary, so we can't do that for Linux. We can't implement a Windows subsystem for Linux, or if we're using their backwards naming scheme, it would be Linux subsystem for Windows. We can't do that, because Windows is proprietary, but they can rip us off. Um, so yeah, that's happening. By the way, the Windows 10 Creators update, is that out yet, Mark? Yes, right. I have it. All right, it but it added more than a hundred new features to the Windows subsystem for Linux. Oh, do you know that? Was that your I like most not. anticipated feature of the Creators I, update? I honestly didn't know what was even coming in the Creators update. N nothing was really communicated to the user directly. Yeah, I just um, they found so that my computer was with that Windows update. Subsystem. If you were to go and install Ubuntu right now on your Windows, the Ubuntu Bash shell, you would now have 16.04 uh, rather than 14.04 was the old one. You would also be able to run ifconfig. Now okay. you'd be able to run ifconfig. Now you remember what I told you about ifconfig? Yes. We don't use Maybe. that anymore. That's the old way. Oh, we don't use ifconfig anymore. <laughs> so they, Microsoft just added ifconfig as a new feature. If I open up a terminal right here, and I'll do it on stream... 
if config. Oh wow, it actually worked. Well, that's embarrassing. But I've had I've, <laughs> I've had distros before that if config doesn't work because you're supposed to use like ip address is the command now ip space address space whatever you want to do. Um, I if config's been deprecated for a long time now, but you know. Microsoft's just ripping us off. Oh, by the way, um, if you're remember how I told you that Microsoft has their Azure virtualization platform and yeah. Ubuntu has more users than Windows does on Microsoft's platform? Remember how I yeah. told you that? So on mm -hmm. their platform now, on the Azure portal, you can now get to a bash shell for your Ubuntu server right on the web, which you could already do on things like DigitalOcean and Linode, but Microsoft caught up and added that feature you know what they say? PowerShell in the Azure portal is coming soon. So Microsoft has just added the Linux terminal to their virtualization platform before they've even added the Windows command prompt to it. That's kind of cool. What? It's cool. I mean, Are you... It's good. I mean, like, Go to on. add... It's like to uh, add a Linux stuff before they do their own that, but that's it's kind of neat their platform we this yeah. is not a new feature for linux users we could already do this with like DigitalOcean and linode care about linux microsoft yeah. is just trying to not go out of business and so then they're they're implementing our stuff before they even implement their own stuff and they're going to be making money off of this and using it for more sales crap um so yeah, that, do you have any other thoughts on that? I'm sorry, I, I was this was just a me getting angry story, but the people in the chat are marrying <laughs> you too. Random dude in the chat room agrees with me. He thinks it's horrible. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I guess I I'm not really too knowledgeable of it, obviously, but I guess more the more handshaking between the Microsoft and Linux, I think in the in the, in the long run will be better. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So, um, <clears throat> all right, next story. Fedora now has full MP3 support, or it will soon. Um, and that's a big story, because for a long time, so Fedora Linux used to be a distro, like I said, it used to be a staging ground for Red Hat, but then it kind of moved away from that, and what it kind of has turned into was a, a distro that only includes free software. Now, um, that means no proprietary software, nothing with bad licenses either. Like, even if it's open source, it has to have a permissive license for Fedora to include it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great thing for them to do. So I'm happy that they're mm -hmm. sticking to that. So Mark asked me, Didn't, did Fedora not already have the ability to play MP3s? They yeah. did already have the ability to play MP3s out of the box without installing any third-party plugins as of last year. Now, it was only a few months ago when they added that. Um, or maybe it was, it might have been more than just a few months, but it, it was pretty recent. I remember when that happened. So now you can encode, you can make your own MP3s on Fedora without installing any third party plugins. You could already do it. There are entire repositories out there that um, exist to give you proprietary software on Fedora. Which is one of those things where the Fedora people don't like that those are there, but they can't do anything about it because it would go against their own philosophy to do anything about it. Um, but yeah, you can now, um, right. So before you had to add one of these third party repositories and install MP3 support, um, what happened was there are a couple of companies, IIS, 
Fraunhofer and Technicolor uh, is the company I actually know how to pronounce the name of. Uh, those two companies had some patents on MP3s, um, on the MP3 technology. Those patents have expired now, and the Red Hat legal team gave the go-ahead for Fedora to include MP3 support. Um, now, like Ubuntu already included MP3 support. Well, if you check that little checkbox in the installer, it includes MP3 support. Do you remember that checkbox? Yeah, sure. Um, there are other distros <coughs> that include MP3 support, but yeah, Fedora will no longer require third-party repositories for that. And Ubuntu might be able to get rid of that checkbox now. Who knows? Um, so that's cool. Yeah. And we've got the, once again, straight from Fedora Magazine. They say, um, last November the patents covering MP3 decoding expired. And now, um, the ones for encoding have expired. Now only MP3 is cleared, not other MPEG technologies. But, yeah. Um, they say the MP3 codec and open source have had a troubled relationship over the past decade, especially within the United States. Historically, due to licensing issues, Fedora has been unable to include MP3 decoding or encoding within the base distribution, um, however many users utilize third-party repositories to enable MP3 support. So it's not really a win in terms of usability. You could already do it, but it's a win for free software enthusiasts. Random dude just name-dropped Richard Stallman in the chat room. And yeah, Richard, I see, random dude says Richard Stallman would get angry when he read this article. I think Richard Stallman would be happy about it. Because now we've got free and open software that uh, that does MP3s. I think that's a good thing. That's a, that's that a win good. for yeah, freedom definitely. enthusiasts. And then the last story, we're really going to skim over this one because we're way over time. But uh, <laughs> Google has a new, it's because of those first two stories. We spend a, yeah. a lot of time on. Normally, guys, it'll be more balanced out between the different stories. Um, but yeah, Google's new operating system, they're making a new operating system, Google is, and it is no longer based on Linux. Now, in the past, Android has been based on Linux. Chrome OS has been based on Linux. Uh, they've both used the Linux kernel. They have not used the GNU tools. Uh, at least Android did not, but it, it used the Linux terminal, or kernel, sorry. And, um, and yeah, Google's new no Linux Fuchsia operating system is what they're making now, and uh, Fuchsia excused the Linux kernel for the Google's very own Magenta microkernel. So they're writing their own kernel for this. Google's big enough to do that. Um, you know, not everyone's big enough to write their own kernel, but if anyone can do it, Google can. And Google's they, Google. They got everything. <laughs> yeah, and they have not been hiding their progress. This is nice. Uh, Fuchsia source code can be viewed on the Fuchsia GitHub page. That's now, cool. as long as they keep these things up on GitHub, that'd be nice because I, you know, it's still open source, but it's not Linux. And the reason why they're doing that is, um, yeah, they they want to free Android from its dependencies on Linux and the legal problems that Java has presented Google. So um, Linux comes with certain licensing restrictions, and when you when you make a change to Linux, when you make it better, um, and you want to publish your better version. The license says that you have to also publish that. You have to allow the upstream people to use your changes. So if you make it better, you have to allow, you have to give it back, basically. You have to give back what you do. And Google doesn't like that. They want to be able to make something better and keep it all for themselves and not have to share it with anyone. Um, so rather than fighting the legal battle, they're just going the simple way, making their own new kernel. And also, they will no longer have to use Java. Right now, um, Android apps are all Java. Um, but of course, Oracle and Sun before them have been kind of fighting it out with Google on licensing for Java. Um, mm -hmm. 
So yeah, and I think Google was kind of in the wrong with that, but the Linux Action Show covered that um, decently, so I won't go into that. But just thought I'd throw that in there just in case this becomes a big thing. Um, there's that. And that's all the news we have for this week. Did you have anything else you wanted to say before we move on? Um, I saw a comment from random dude uh, in the chat about um, the uh, user base of Microsoft, mostly being gamers and a lot of about like just the more support and devs porting their games to Linux, and that would probably help a lot. Um, I could talk about this for two hours, but I just wanted to say it is much, much more difficult than just having devs port their games to Linux. Um, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, the the whole idea is like um, there's a lot of people on PC who play games, and that's why they go to Microsoft because a lot of the games go there. Right. Already. A hassle for developers just to put their games on um, on PC in general because when a developer makes a game for a console like let's just take the Xbox one for example all right they they, they know exactly what they're they're developing for the 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 version of the OS every single piece of hardware and exactly how it's going to run so they make the game specifically for this box and everything inside of it and then they That's move into enough. PC yeah. And there's already tons of different OSs and literal millions, hundreds of millions of, of combinations of PCs, hardwares and softwares and, and, and drivers and different things. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a massive step to just, just to even get onto Windows. And then you want to tell them all the time spent that is already a smaller player base than the consoles. And then go to an even smaller player base of Linux, which is even more difficult to like, to develop for. It's all right. It, it's 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 a nice thought, and I I do wish it is possible. But some developers just don't have the time. It's the amount, and of course, their business. So it's the amount of money they would get back for doing all that extra work, even right. just to go on PC in general. A lot of times isn't worth it, and that's a lot of times why games don't come to PC or release. Like um, for example, a really big game. Of GTA 5, it was about a year and a half before that was ported onto PC after yeah. it released on the console. Oh yeah, no, I mean as as uh, and of course GTA 5, that's made by a big studio. There, they, if anyone yeah. had the resources, you'd think they would. Has Destiny yeah. been ported to PC yet? No. All right. Um, now, but what you're talking about is user base and the the ease of of developing in terms of what's our target hardware, and I understand yeah. that. In terms of like licensing and whatnot, though, how easy do you think it is to get your game? Say you've already made the game magically. How easy is it to get it on Steam versus getting it printed on DVDs with the Microsoft Xbox logo on them? Just to get the game on Steam yeah. is pretty easy. There's a lot of crap on Steam. Yeah. There's a lot. There's of a crap lot of good games Steam. on it too, though. Yes, yes, but the, it, it like just to get your game published on Steam, just right. say here you go. It's not necessarily totally easy, but right. it, it's very, very doable. And then, um, but and then, do you know anything about the process to getting a game published on like Xbox or PlayStation? Because I don't know anything about that. Um, the publishing part on a console, it is difficult. Um, there, because the, the for like. Because like Steam is pretty open, it's like they don't care if your game is crap or not. It's gonna go on there. Yeah. Like on on the console, they there is a bit more of a uh, quality check, and there's timelines and marketing. Like game like the 
the Xbox, the PS4, they want to know what's going to be put on their game. Like, they, they don't just say, like, Jacob made a little platformer, like, retro-style game. Sure, just just fill out this form and put it up there. It's like, there, there's, there's a lot more to it, but that's also only half of it. It's the actual, like, development of the game, the creation of the game, and make sure it's optimized for millions upon millions of, of, of variations of, of softwares yeah, and drivers and hardware. but that's not something that you normally have to do when you're developing the video game itself. That's something that other people take care of with things like DirectX or OpenGL and then the things on top of that like the <clears throat> Unity game engine. And, um, the, I mean, there are game engines that you can build upon. It's not like you're starting from scratch every time you make a video game. Yeah, I, I'm just saying it's much easier to just use your time and resources on making the game better just for console and then if you have the time and resource to put it on PC great and then just constantly adding on more OS's and stuff like that that's just gonna take much like much more time and most of the time the reason why it doesn't happen is because the amount of money that they'll get back from that extra time isn't worth it and mm. it's a bummer but that is the really cold hard truth it's just there isn't enough money I mean and that, well that, now you're it. back when you're saying that though now, the bottom line is the money then it's back to the chicken and egg well we need people using Linux so the developers will yeah. know, want to target Linux yeah so it, we're it really just, arrived at the same they they need to make they, they need there needs to be more developers who have the money like to to take the risk and I think that's just what needs to happen. Like people like Rockstar who make GTA, like big, like and developers like Bethesda or Activision or Blizzard. Like the these the smaller guys need to see those big, big heads of the of the family taking those risks and say, "All right, well, I guess we I, should try it out." Yeah, I, I think yeah. that really what needs to happen is the big names need to say, "We're gonna give it a shot. <clears throat> if it works." Awesome. We'll continue to do it. If not, they're a business. They have to cut off what doesn't work. Um, do you really think that the big names are going to be the ones to drive? I think it, the idea has always been that, um, I mean, smaller people, the big names like Blizzard made Overwatch, right? Yes. So they're freaking rich. And what, what all does Overwatch run on? Overwatch runs on Windows... Um, Xbox and PS4. All right. So, I mean, they're a big studio. They started with console games, probably from what you're saying, and then went backward to PC. Mm -hmm. um, do they have... I feel like they would almost have a reverse incentive to keep people on the consoles. Because you generally pay more for console games... And if it is cheaper for them to develop, I mean, it seems kind of like it would be more likely that smaller developers would make Linux a popular platform or even just PC a popular platform. And then <clears throat> bigger developers have to follow suit or else they're not going to be big developers anymore or if they just want to tap into the marketplace. Maybe um, the, the, the thing is, is when it comes to just trying to get a larger player base... It's going to take those large games. If a hundred indie studios say we're making a game for Linux, that's still only going to be like ten percent of the people who play Overwatch. Like it's, it's the sheer amount of people that could get behind a game like Overwatch is yeah. just so mind-blowingly large. I think they're, but I think they're over twenty-seven million players. So what you're which, saying is we need a big game studio to switch to yeah. Linux. And it would what? be great to see all these smaller companies do it, 
But the thing is, if those, if, if Jacob makes a retro platformer game and he has 10,000 downloads, that's awesome. But that's not going to be enough to change the game. It's going mm. to take a huge market of thing like, like these big companies saying like, we want to do this. And those small guys would say, I guess it is worth it. Because those small guys are the ones who don't have the time and resources to, to make sure they're, they're everywhere. But if they see that it could be worth it because the big people are bringing the player base, like they're going to be the ones who are going to bring in the hundreds of millions of people. Like yeah, that, that's. I mean, we we we've said the same thing about that on Linux, though. For things other than games, we've said, oh, we're never gonna get. I guess this kind of plays into your point a little bit. We're never gonna get video editors using Linux until Adobe ports Premiere, and we're never going to get. Uh, I mean, we're never gonna get graphic artists <laughs> using Linux until they port Photoshop over. And um, I mean, for years it was we're never going to get offices using Linux until Microsoft makes Microsoft Office for Linux. Now that's probably the only example of we have a working replacement. Obviously, yeah. we have GIMP, and but it's just Photoshop is the brand name. We have Kadian Live, but it is admittedly less robust than uh, Premiere. <clears throat> Even though I think it will can do everything Premiere does, it can take some more work sometimes. Um, yeah, it's interesting to hear because you started off by saying that it's not just the popularity thing, and then you wrapped it back around to the popularity thing. It, yeah, it, so, it's a little bit of everything. It's the money, it's the time, it's just the simple amount of player base, it's the reward you might not or, or might actually get, it's the risk, it's, it, it, it's so many things. Right. Like any other industry, there's just too many things going on, and it... it Everything was difficult un until someone took the risk to make it not difficult. Yeah. And that's just, that's what we need. It's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, All right, it's a well, strange, a strange thing. We are going to have an episode coming up uh, probably within the next month or two. Not sure what our order is going to be yet, but we will have an episode just on Linux game development. And we are going to actually reach out and talk to some developers to get some more information on that. Uh, Mark's a big gamer, so you're going to see a lot of, of the gaming perspective <laughs> on this show. But, uh, yeah, for now, uh, we've got 30 minutes, so we are going to take a quick break, and then we are going to do a, an introduction to Linux, however far we can get into that. Cool. So, be right back, guys. Yep. All right, everyone, so that's all the news for this week, and now we are going to talk about just an introduction to Linux in general. I'm going to be explaining some just basic Linux concepts to Mark here, who is new to Linux. Uh, but Very new. Yeah. Before we get to all the... Are you excited? I, I am. I'm excited to see how, how long I've been wrong about Windows. <laughs> uh, before we get to all of that, though, I do want to give a quick shout-out to the Nerd of the Street Nerd Club. We are an audience-funded company, and we do need your support to continue making shows such as this one. Uh, so you can head on over to nerdclub.nots.co, and that is our page where you can sign up for the Nerd Club. You can sign up a couple different ways. You can sign up through our Patreon page, make a recurring uh, donation. It's only $3 a month. Uh, really not a whole lot and we do have a couple of goals on our patreon page there when we reach a hundred dollars a month We're going to take all the ads off of the videos on our website So you can watch it all ad free right on nerdonthestreet.com But if you don't want to make a recurring payment, you can also do a prepaid membership to the nerd club You can pay six months or 12 months. Uh, you can do that right there on the page at nerdclub.nots.co um, Yeah, you get some special uh, features from that you get to go to the live stream DVR on a special nerd club members only section of our website and uh, you can see the full live stream recordings 
of all of our live streams that we do. Um, so we're going to put out an edited version of this video, but we're not putting out the full live stream. That'll only be available to our Nerd Club members. Um, there's also other things like the banner ads on our website get removed. You get like a special Discord role if you're into that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, big thank you to all of our Nerd Club members and head on over there if you want to support Nerd on the Street. So, alright, uh, Linux, right? Linux. All right, now I want to start, before I say this, I wasn't entirely sure where I should start with like this sort of thing. Um, oops, I just dragged my notes over the screen. <laughs> I wasn't exactly sure where I should start with this, and, uh, and I, I might skim over some things that people think are important. I might oversimplify some things, or um, I might go more in detail into things than people think I need to. Uh, we do have some people watching live, so if you are watching live, uh, we got random dude Raviolin in the chat room, um, and if you hear anything that I say that you disagree with, or you think I got something wrong, or inaccurate, or I didn't portray something correctly, um, Linux is a very diverse community, and there's a lot of different people out there with different opinions, so feel free, say it in the chat room, we'll address it here. Um, and if I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, if you're watching this after the fact, um, more than welcome to go to our, our website, go to rr.nots.code, you'll find the feedback thread for this episode. Leave some feedback. If I'm getting something wrong, I'd love to be corrected, because uh, this is mostly just going off of my knowledge, although I did a little bit of research before this. Also, I just want to get yelled at with information about the entire Linux experience as a whole, yeah. and what you think would be a great way for me to get into it. Alright, so we're going to start off with what Linux is exactly. So Linux itself is an operating system kernel. Um, so you hear us say Linux, and we're talking about a lot of different things together, but the Linux kernel is the actual thing that uh, Linus Torvalds made in 1991. Now the kernel doesn't actually do a whole lot on its own. It, uh, you know, the kernel of an operating system handles very basic things, hardware level things. Um, but in order to use Linux to actually do things, we also need a lot of other pieces. So one of those pieces you've heard me talk about are the GNU tools. And uh, the GNU tools were made by Richard Stallman. He started them in 1983. He published them in 1984. And ever since then, um, they were around before the Linux kernel. Um, there was no kernel to go with them, really, so then Linus made the Linux kernel. Made GNU slash Linux is, is what it's technically called, and that is the operating system that we are using, that I'm using right now. So yeah, we've got the Linux kernel and the GNU tools, and when you have those two things, all that you really have is a terminal with some very basic commands. Coming from Windows, Windows is really based around GUIs. Um, the command prompt on Windows is kind of a, an overlay on top of the GUI. Linux is the other way around. It is really a terminal-based operating system, and we have GUIs available, but um, when the GUI fails, you drop back down to a terminal. That's how that works, and you're going to see that at one point or another. Uh, so in order to display a GUI, you need a few parts. Uh, one of them is the display manager, and that is where Wayland and Mir that we were talking about earlier come in. So the de facto standard display manager right now is called X or X.org. Uh, and are you currently running Linux on a desktop in front of you right now, Mar or do you have it in a VM or something? I don't have it open right now. I All can right. get it open. Um, it's alright if you don't have it open already. I was just going to have you. You can, you can see what version of X you're running everything and you can play with it, um, mm -hmm. aka break it really easily. 
And X has been around for a long time. Really what X was made for was like remotely managing servers because Linux for a while was just mainly designed for servers. Um, so I'm using X on my desktop right now. Um, I've got my desktop and I've got Windows on the... Oh, that's your desktop. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got Windows that I'm dragging around here and uh, this is all being managed by the X.org display server. Um, now X is insecure. It is uh, not very well performing and that's one of the, the problems with gaming and video editing and everything else on Linux is that um, even just video editing, the X display server limits the performance of my video editor. It limits the performance of everything that has graphics. Um, so we're kind of trying to replace X right now. There were two primary replacements available until very recently. One of them was called Wayland and the other one was called Mir. Wayland was the first one around and Red Hat is backing that and it is still in development. Um, it's not like ready for use yet, but Fedora does ship it by default. Uh, random dude asked, isn't Display Manager the login manager? Oh, Display Server, I guess, is... is Alright, thank you. See, that's why I asked uh, people to correct me. So, yeah, Display Server, Display Manager. Um, but yeah, Wayland is a Display Server that is going to be what you're going to be using in like three years from now. Or five, if things go really poorly. But um, <laughs> if you had shown up like five years ago, I would have said X is the display server we use, that's it. And if you had shown up five years later, I would have said, we use Wayland, that's it. But we're in a transition period right now, and you're gonna see people saying, oh, we're moving this over to Wayland, this is ported to Wayland, or this is supported on Wayland now. Um, so we can get more into that in another episode. We are gonna do a whole episode on Wayland in the near future. But yeah, um, now that Ubuntu has shut down Mir, Mir was one that could work on a desktop or a phone. Wayland is really designed just for desktops. Still better than X, which was designed for servers, and it's going to be more secure, it's going to be faster, it's going to be better. Once we get there, uh, it is still in development right now. So on top of your display server, in order to actually have things um, to use on your screen that you can now draw windows onto, you need a desktop environment. And I think you're pretty clear about that concept already since we've been talking about Unity a lot. A desktop environment is it consists of the panels that you use on your desktop to do things like open up applications and um, and view information about the system. It also consists of some applications that ship with your system. So for instance, GNOME is one desktop environment, KDE is another desktop environment. The panels that you have by default on both of those look very different. GNOME has one panel at the top, KDE has its panel at the bottom. Um, and GNOME comes with gedit for its default text editor. KDE comes with kwrite or uh, kate for its default text editor. It's got two, really. Um, so yeah, you can install one desktop environment and use other programs on top of it, but the desktop environment not only does it draw your panels, it also, at this point in time, it, it kind of comes with a connotation. Each desktop has certain applications you know it comes with and works well with. Um, and then on top of it all, we have user applications, and so no matter what desktop environment you're on, you can be using GNOME or KDE or LXDE. You can still run Firefox on top of all three of those. Um, all the all Linux programs will work no matter what desktop environment you're using. It just has to do with which desktop environments integrate best into which programs. So, so yeah, uh, as I know, that was a lot of information. I feel like I'm lecturing way too much here. 
Any questions Mr. about <laughs> Linux kernel, GNU tools, display server, desktop environment, or user applications? Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, okay, so earlier, um, let's see here. Uh, Random Dude asked if you're the one who's using Arch Linux. Yeah, I am. Okay, and then he said he was the one. I'm just a noob running Antergos. All right. What? I don't is... think that. Yeah, that wasn't a question. He was just stating that. But what yeah. is Antergos? Yeah. Antergos is a. So distributions were going to be the next thing that we covered. Arch is a distribution. Antergos is a distribution that's based on Arch. Okay. Um, and really, it's it makes very minimal changes. Um, remember, we I've shown. I, I showed Mark Arch um, just a couple days ago. You, we, were, we, were, we were trying to install it real quick. And it's the one that doesn't have a wizard or anything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that was a... That was yeah. A, so what Antergos nice. does is it puts a <laughs> wizard on it. So that way you can use Arch without having to go through all the terminal that setup stuff. That sounds awesome. I, w- I, w- I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd I, I definitely try it out um, because it, it really does make things easier. And then after you get it installed, it gives you a graphical <clears throat> package manager. But then when you do things in the graphical package manager, it actually shows you the commands that you would have to run if you were doing it in the terminal. So what I did was I used Antergos for like a year. And then after a year, I was like, oh. I've been using this for so long, and even though I've never typed in these commands, I've seen them so often. Now I know mm-hmm. how to do it just typing them. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah. It it was fun doing the uh, the the manual way, just normal Arch. It was really interesting to see that I've, I've never installed an OS without a wizard. Yeah. So just going through it, command by command, that was that was really cool. But to see, I would like to do it side by side. Mm be really cool to see the so wizard do it you can see what and yeah. then do it manually and just see how it works to how yeah, it works see what like, things correspond be, to between the wizard yeah, and the commands that yeah. would be really really cool i'd like to do that mm-hmm. um so yeah linux distribution is a, a distribution consists <clears throat> of a copy of the kernel and the gnu tools and usually it comes with a specific desktop environment that the distribution endorses or recommends that you use. Um, most distributions come with a set of pre-installed applications and a Linux distribution in order to call it a distribution. It usually forms a cohesive user experience. So like Ubuntu is a user distribution, Fedora is a user distribution, Arch or uh, a Linux distribution, Arch is a distribution, OpenSUSE is a distro, um, and each one comes with different default applications. Each one comes with um, a desktop environment. Now, you were getting a little confused in the past week about what the difference between a distribution and a desktop is. Yes. Uh, so the desktop environment is the actual... The people who make the desktop environment are responsible for writing the programs that you use with the desktop environment. So like okay. the KDE desktop environment is what I'm using... It's got a start menu in the bottom left. So whoever writes KDE, they actually write the code to make the start menu. The distribution that I'm using, Arch, what they do is they take KDE, they package it up, and they make it easy for me to get. Um, So I download the desktop environment from my distribution's repositories. That's how it works. Um, So that the reason it gets a little confusing is because you have like Ubuntu until very recently had the Unity desktop environment. And you didn't really see Unity anywhere else. It was only on Ubuntu. Um, GNOME is a better example of a desktop because you can get GNOME on Ubuntu, you can get GNOME on Arch, you can get GNOME on OpenSUSE. 
Um, but then there are some specialty desktop environments that are still around. Elementary OS you'll be using very soon, and that comes with its own special desktop environment called Pantheon. Um, you don't really see that on anything other than elementary. So it really just depends on the desktop environment, how many different distributions use it. Okay, yeah. So so it it, it basically is just like the, the distro is just, you know, the, the backbone and what the OS really is. And then the desktop environment is just the medium that it conveys it to you and how you well, use so it. Well, the, so the distribution is the medium that you're getting it through. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and yeah, the, the desktop environment is the actual programs that you're getting. Okay. So yeah, we've, we've gone through desktop environments, we've gone through distributions, and um, yeah, I think we really, I, the earlier stuff I kind of feel like I went through too quickly, but yeah, on Linux, uh, software is organized into packages, you might have noticed that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, how those work, on Linux, every program is a package but then you don't necessarily only install one package per program. Um, different programs can have packages that require other packages. So like if I want to install this, I need to install these three other things as well. Um, and those are called dependencies. And the reason we have that system is so that, let's say that there's two different programs that require the same library. Uh, for okay. instance, VLC and Firefox can both play video, right? So let's say there's a video library for your, your operating system. On Windows, how that would work is you download VLC, it includes the video library. You download Firefox, and it will include its own video library. And it'll either have its own version of it, a different version, or if it's the same version, you'll just have two copies of that sitting around on your computer. Okay. Um, on Linux, VLC and Firefox, I don't know if they actually use the same video. They don't. But... Uh, Theoretically, if they use the same video library, you would have one copy of that library on your system. Both VLC and Firefox would use the same library. And then when you update that library on your computer, now both VLC and Firefox can use the updated library at the same time because you just updated the library for your entire system. Okay. Um, so that's how packages work, and that's why dependencies are important because if you've got one dependency that's shared by several different programs, then um, you can have some versioning issues, but normally you don't. And yeah, you can update one library and it's updated for everything else. You don't have to have 10 different copies of everything sitting around. You don't have to update things 10 different places. Um, you can run one update command and your entire system gets updated. That's a big difference between Linux and Windows. Windows, if you've got Chrome installed and you've got like Steam installed and um, and Discord, I'm looking at your taskbar. Uh, you have to update those things all separately, right? Like, you, um, you can get tools that update them automatically, like Nanit or something, but I mean, yeah. Chrome, you have I to. Guess they just really, it's not like I have to, like, seek it out. It's just they update on, on their own accord. Yeah. And sometimes. Yeah, those be might like, not hey, be the best. Okay, yeah, sure, let's go. Yeah, um, those might not be the best example. Like, I see on Notepad++, that actually asks you when you want to update, right? Like, yeah. it, when there's an and, update available, it says, here's the download yeah. link. Yeah. And you've got OBS, and you have to update that when a new version comes out. Yeah, Discord and Steam sort of update automatically as you exit and close the programs. Yeah. Like, but they still they have like their own updaters, and mm -hmm. it's really, it's gotten better, uh from a user standpoint, so that's not as good of an example as it would have used to be. 
Um, Because, yeah, like, Chrome Auto updates, Steam has pretty seamless updates. Yeah, I'll Um, just say, would you like to restart Steam now to update? Yeah. And you can even, like, you can still have a game running as it restarts. Well, that's because the game isn't Steam. Yeah. It's just still really nice. And then Discord... Um, just does it on its own accord. Well, this, that's because <laughs> like it'll, Discord is a web app. That's actually not a native yeah. program. It'll just be like, be like a, 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 a thing just like, I don't know where it says, hey, these are new features. Like, oh, I didn't know it updated. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, on Linux, you don't have to have Chrome update itself and Discord. These are the worst examples. I'm going to use so OBS and Notepad++. If you wanted to update those two things, you'd have to open up one it would give you the update, install that, open up Notepad++, give you the update, install that. Linux, you can open up a terminal, run your update command for whatever distro you're using, and that's going to be different based on different distributions come with different package managers. Um, so that was one of the things we learned in class the other day is, you know, mm-hmm. Debian and Ubuntu use um, apt or aptitude, and then, uh, or apt-to-get was, apt-to-get and aptitude have both just been replaced by apt. So just in mm-hmm. case you come across any old documentation, but um, Fedora uses DNF now, and and Arch uses Pacman. Um, so different distros use different package managers, and so you run your your one update command for whatever package manager you have. All of your programs get updated because even if it didn't come with Linux, even if it's a third party program, you install it if you're doing it the right way. You install it through a repository. So all of your different repositories can get updated at once. And a repository is sort of like a, um, a catalog for an app store. You can have different catalogs that all feed into the app store would be your package manager. Um, but you can pull down software from different places. Your distributions repository is where you get most of your software. But like Google has their own repository just for Google Chrome. Um, because Chrome is proprietary, it's not included in Ubuntu's repository, but you can install Google's repository, and that way you get updates when you update the rest of your system with your package okay. manager. That sounds really nice. Um, cool. So yeah, uh, random dude asked Jacob GTK or QT. Uh, so what those are, are they are toolkits for writing programs. So GTK, I think, stands for GNOME Toolkit, and that is the one that is definitely used by GNOME and the GNOME programs. QT, um, that is used by KDE programs. And those are the big names behind them. If you're if you're talking about GTK programs, you're probably a GNOME user. And if you're talking about QT programs, probably a KDE user. That's not a hard rule, but that's just the tendency. And how those work are when you're writing a program for Linux, you don't want to start all the way over every time you're writing a program. Uh, you don't want to have to write x.org or Wayland code. Uh, you don't want to have to write Wayland code when you're writing a program. So you write your program using either GTK or QT, and those are toolkits that you use to, um, basically they handle the drawing of your program. So you put in, random dude says GTK is GIMP toolkit. I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to Google that. GIMP toolkit, not known. GIMP toolkit, it really is. All right, so GTK was originally developed just for GIMP and then later made its way into GNOME's default toolkit. That is really interesting. I had no idea. That's really interesting, because like I said, GTK is used by all of the default GNOME applications, but yeah. Um, so like when GIMP was first around, there probably weren't many toolkit options available, so they had to make their own. Now if you're writing a program, you can have a GUI by default just by using 
GTK or QT, that gives you the G, the GUI so you don't have to write your own GUI from scratch. Uh, it makes it much easier to do that. All right, and what questions do you have? We've only got a few more minutes here, and I, yeah, the, the, I knew the flow of this episode wouldn't be great because I'm not, you know, a an educator. But what what <laughs> questions do you have about Linux? No, Mark? you do great. Um, <clears throat> all right, questions about Linux. I um, let's see here. What is? I was curious about the uh, progress of System 76's uh, desktops that they were making. The progress of what, like the hardware? Yeah, we're not we're not going to talk about System 76's products in this video, because okay. th this is not a that has nothing to do with uh, Linux itself. <clears throat> but we we can talk about that in another episode. Yeah. Uh, like unless you were, I didn't. Are, were you just asking like how they were doing with the products? Yeah, I was just curious of how long do you think it would be until they were on, like on on sale like oh yeah and, probably a few years but yeah that's that oh, doesn't really? have anything to do with uh okay. All right. linux itself yeah. so god two minutes here any other questions last minute questions um no i think i'm good all right now. yeah uh well the news section of this art this episode was very good and uh hopefully yeah. that gave you an okay if anyone has questions once again this is really where the feedback comes in there will be a feedback thread on our forums over at rr.nots.co Yep. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of things I just skipped over and um, people were correcting me here. There might have been some other small things that I didn't get exactly right. So if you do have questions or you want to say anything more that you think I didn't um, didn't cover all the way, then you can go to rr.nots.co and leave it in the feedback thread. Thank you so much to uh, everyone who showed up today. Uh, Randy yeah, in the chat awesome. room. We had Raviola and there were some other people on other websites. And yeah, we... Just had a technical difficulty. That will not go in the blooper. Oh, I don't think we're going to do the blooper reel, but that's why you need to be a Nerd of the Street Nerd Club member so you yeah, can see the full yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'll have to think about the blooper reel. I'll get back to you on that one. But yeah, thank you guys so much for showing up. Uh, I know this was a bit of a rocky start. We are still figuring things out with this show. Uh, we had a test episode, but we're still going to be figuring things out these first few weeks. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it went well. And like I said, next week we'll be more balanced between the time that we give all the different news stories. Uh, we just had a couple big ones we wanted to hit this week, uh, to start off the show. So yeah, Mark, uh, where can people go throughout the week to find you if they want to watch you doing some For, game uh, oh, things? Me? Yeah. Oh my, well, most of my internet presence is on Twitter, um, Snapchat, and twitch.tv that's where i do streams of games and things like that and different books um twitch.tv forward slash it's mcdoodley um and then on twitter it's the same it's mcdoodley and then snapchat is the dot mcdoodles uh. <laughs> um i will should i post links to that into uh the neuron street chat uh yeah i mean you can go ahead and do that i'll also of course put you on uh I'm sorry. I'm having technical difficulties now. I'll, I'll put those <laughs> in the feedback thread as well for people to find. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me throughout the week at JacobGKU on Twitter um, or at nerdofthestreet.com. You can see all of the cool videos that I'm making. I am still working on one of them. Then rotoscoping. <laughs> Rotoscoping's never a good idea, Mark. If anyone it's... ever tells you, you need to rotoscope this video, tell them, no, it's not worth it. I'll fight them. It's not I worth it. Just re-record the video, for darn sake. <laughs> if it's an unboxing, put it back in the box and re-record the unboxing, because it will be quicker than doing a rotoscope. Um, all right, so so I'm going to go ahead and 
leave it at that. Yeah, a random dude saw some of the, the posters I got hung up on while I broke the veil of professionalism here with my How could screen. you? <laughs> uh, that'll be cut out. Um, but yeah, yeah, so much for no editing, right? No, there will be light editing. There will be light editing, just not heavy editing. But yeah, thanks guys so much for showing up. Uh, we Absolutely. do need to roll for this week. But show up again next week. The show is going to continue to improve. We'd love to have you guys along for the ride as we do it. And it will continue to improve just like Linux. Hey, look at that. Hey, double there you double go. name of the meeting. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, so <laughs> thanks so much again. And we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye.